0: Well, good morning, everyone, and thank you as always so much for being here and joining us with us here at Resurrection City Church. It is a it is a blessing on my heart to see to see you all every Sunday morning. So thank you for being here. Um, my name is Joel. I am one of the one of the pastors here at Resurrection City Church, and um, we have been and and will continue today to be going through uh, the book of Daniel. Um, which is a, uh, a book in the Old Testament. It's, it's a, a really important book um, for uh, kind of the history of Israel as a nation. And, and, and I'm excited, towards the end of the sermon series, we'll really talk about what, how what happens in the book of Daniel... Um, really flows and progresses and takes us to the time of, of Jesus and the time of um, his birth as we approach Christmas. So this is like a, a, a really important book in understanding the, the storyline of the whole Bible. So it's been really fun to go through it um, and to really dig into uh, to why it has been, been seen as so important for the generations that followed it as they sought to live distinct um, in exile, distinct in living out their own kingdom, the kingdom of God, um, the kingdom of the people of God in the midst of other kingdoms, uh, mirroring our own um, experience today, trying to remain faithful to God in a world um, that does not always have that as a value. So, um, Daniel has been a, a fun book to go through and I look forward to kind of uh, running through the rest of fall. To do that, so one of the big features of the book of Daniel is visions. Um, we we had a vision in chapter two. We actually didn't really uh, uh, dive into it because it had a lot of crossover with another vision we're gonna we're gonna see here in a couple of chapters. But today we are actually uh, going to to spend a lot of time really digging into this vision or this dream that Nebuchadnezzar has that Daniel interprets for him. Um, And and visions and dreams uh, we find in the book of Daniel are really um, important because they're ways to communicate uh, truths from God's end um, to us by using images uh, that really burn into our psyche, that really grab you and, and move you. Um, and, and cause you to pay attention to the truths that they're communicating by um, the particular uh, images or metaphors that are being used within them. Um, and that's one of the reasons why they're, they're so important in the book of Daniel, and, and, and there are other places in the Bible that, that use this as well, is because of their power to communicate certain truths. So we're going to talk about that today, um, and we're going to really dive in and dig into like what the, what the images themselves mean. And what, that's one of the, the, the problems sometimes with interpreting visions and, and, and uh, dreams, and uh, from people who are living in a totally different culture than us is that we have a hard time understanding what the images mean when they would have made perfect sense to them. So, so as we go through this vision and the other visions as well in the book, uh, we're going to really dig in and try to understand what would it have meant to the, to the original audience, because that will help it kind of open up a whole uh, range of meaning and understanding for us, uh, living in a modern-day modern sense, where we can really have those images grab us as well, just like the people um, in in Israel and the people reading this um, stuff when it first came out. So um, this this, uh, vision includes, at the center of it, a big tree, okay? And the tree represents uh, Nebuchadnezzar, we'll find. that's a little spoiler. Sorry to take away the joy of finding that out um, from the passage itself. But pay attention to how uh, the tree is described as it, um, as it describes Nebuchadnezzar and then what Daniel has to say about what um, the description of the tree and what happens to the tree um, means for Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, That's kind of the big thing that we'll, we'll notice as we walk through. So let's, let's just jump right into the text here and, and let's read it. So the, 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 the chapter starts out as, as kind of identifying itself as like a decree that Nebuchadnezzar sends out to like the whole nation, everybody within uh, Babylon just want to let you know like this thing that I had in my dream and what it means, all right? So that's why it, it starts out addressed like a letter from King Nebuchadnezzar to everybody else. So King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. So he starts out by offering this. Um, kind of salutary well uh, or a greeting to everyone who's going to be reading this and actually all of chapter four kind of includes the story of what Nebuchadnezzar wants these people to hear and we're breaking chapter four up into two sermons so we'll kind of hear the second part of it and something that happens to Nebuchadnezzar next week Julie is going to be really digging into that for us Um, but this week we'll kind of start it off so Nebuchadnezzar starts um, his story here by explaining what happened to him so I Nebuchadnezzar was at home in my palace contented and prosperous I had a dream that. Made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. So this is not the first time that um these astrologers and magicians and different people who are around Nebuchadnezzar are not able to actually come in and tell him the meaning of the dream. Okay, so um so in the past, Nebuchadnezzar has been really upset and threatened to kill a bunch of people because they couldn't do it. He seems to have mellowed out this time, which is, which is a good look, especially when you're sending a letter about this to the whole nation. It's probably good for them to not be afraid um, that you might go off in a rage and, and kill a bunch of people if they can't help you out. But um, he's mellowed out, and he calls for Daniel. So finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called, uh, this is a parenthetical, Uh, he is called Belteshazzar after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream, interpret it for me. Okay, so let's let's notice something here. In, in chapter one, we we learned that um, Daniel and his friends as well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are given names, Babylonian names that um, have some sort of like connection to the Babylonian gods, and so. Um, it's interesting here to note that while we have Nebuchadnezzar praising Yahweh, the God of the, of the Hebrews, the one who helps uh, Daniel ha- have the power to interpret his dreams, he still is connecting Daniel to um, the Babylonian gods. We don't exactly know for sure what the name Belteshazzar means, but it for sure connects Daniel to one of the Babylonian gods. Okay, so, so Nebuchadnezzar still identifies him as having some connection to the Babylonian gods. Um, And also, um, he says, and the reason that that Belteshazzar is able to interpret the dreams is because the spirit of the holy gods is in him. So, Nebuchadnezzar, like like all other ancient peoples at this time, other than the Israelites, is a polytheist. He has a whole pantheon of gods, a whole group of them, and they have their own kind of god life that they're doing, and lots of drama, and basically the ancient equivalent of tabloids about these gods, right? All this weird stuff is going on with them. And so, it's not a big deal for Nebuchadnezzar to look at Daniel and say, hey, this this people has a god, his name is Yahweh, and he seems to have some power too, so I'm just going to kind of add him to the rest of my gods. And he gives Daniel some power to do some stuff, and when I need Daniel and Daniel's god to help me out, I'm going to call him in. But it doesn't necessarily mean that Nebuchadnezzar worships Yahweh in quite the same way, that, um, that, the, that the Israelite people are called to worship their God. And the way that we worship Jesus today, it's not quite the same thing. So it's good to kind of understand, understand what he's saying here, right? He's kind of like halfway, he, he's kind of halfway to belief in, in, in Yahweh in the way that, that Daniel or an Orthodox or, or conservative Jew would be. Let's continue on to verse 10 through 12. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. So the, the Hebrew word here for sky is shamin, and that actually is just the same word for heaven. The Hebrew uh, language, so far as I understand it, I'm not. I, I don't. I'm not an expert in the Hebrew language by any means, but I believe they only have actually one word for sky. It's the same word as heaven. So when they talk about heaven as the dwelling place of God, they don't necessarily just mean this like this place that's kind of outside our time and reality. They just they just say like God, this the the sky is God's space, right? And so when we say the word sky, we're also saying heaven. It's the same thing. Um, and actually, in the next uh, slide, we'll see in chapter, uh, or ver- sorry, verse 13, um, the word heaven gets used. It's actually also shemin, being used there, okay? So, anyway, the tree grew large and strong, and its, tr- and its top touched the sky, or it-, or it reached heaven, okay? We can read it like that. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches, and from it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven, coming down from the sky or or Shemine. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim it off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. Let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground in the grass of the field. We'll skip ahead a few verses here. Um, to, to just kind of where the, the story picks up again after a little bit of an aside. Um, but he's called Daniel in. Daniel's about to help him out and answer it. And So Belteshazzar, remember this is Daniel, answered, my lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. And you're like, uh-oh, this isn't good. <laughs> I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar at this point is like, I'm not going to like where this is headed um, after he, he starts off with that. Uh, Daniel says, the tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing fruit for all and giving shelter to the wild animals Um, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Okay, So remember, I said at the beginning, this tree represents Nebuchadnezzar. And there are some clues within it to talk about who Nebuchadnezzar is and what he is within the world. And it's actually very positive. It's a very much a recognition of Nebuchadnezzar's power. Right? Um, Oh, sorry about that. Um, so you have, right, the, the big tree here that, that kind of towers over everything else. This is actually a, a screenshot from the movie um, Avatar, right? How many of you guys have seen that movie? I actually like, had not thought about this movie until now, after I saw it in theaters. I kind of totally forgot about it. But there's a really good like, analogy. Trees play a really important role within the movie on this fictional planet called Pandora where they tower over everything, right? And you have these massive, massive trees that tower over the rest of the landscape, right? And, and every, everything kind of um, is connected to the trees, right? The life comes from the trees. They sustain life, both for for the animals and the rest of the plant life, but then also for um, the native peoples of, of of the movie Avatar, right? So, they, so they they play this really big role, right? And, and and the tree in in this passage is kind of similar, right? It it kind of it kind of plays a central role in its environment. It nurtures. Animals who come from all around. It gives them with fruit. It gives them shade uh, and protection. It's in the middle of the land, right? It's in the center of the earth, and for sure, an ancient reader would have kind of associated this with, with from from myths of like a cosmic tree that's kind of at the center of everything, right? It would not be a necessarily a new idea to, to Nebuchadnezzar to see a tree kind of at the center of the world, right? Um, and Nebuchadnezzar is the one. Babylon is the one at the center, nurturing everything, right? It's a symbol of luscious life. Right, life is growing on the tree. We can see that it is alive, but also um, a source of life also for, for other animals around it. And so, so you have Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. Represented by this tree, meaning that that they Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar are massive over the whole earth. They're towering over other nations. Um, They are creating an economic environment where all these other nations are kind of um, sustained by the presence of this massive uh, nation at the center. It's like an economic orbit that all these other nations are kind of caught up in. They kind of revolve around what takes place with Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar is at the center of that. He is Babylon in a sense. Right, and so it's a lofty view of Nebuchadnezzar and his role in the world, and it's not necessarily a negative one either. Right, like you don't don't necessarily see this as a bad thing that there is some tree at the center that is um, supporting life. Right, and in other places in the Old Testament. And we could go to Jeremiah, for example, where um we first learn that Israel is about to go into exile to Babylon. And and while Babylon is is portrayed there as, as a as a in many ways a wicked nation, as a place where where God is where God is not worshipped, right? And and that and that brings about like um evil in the life of many of its citizens and many of the other nations that Babylon takes over. God a- a- actually says, like, I'm using Babylon as my tool. Like, good will come from you going into exile. As as hard as that might be to believe, I'm going to use Babylon for good. I'm going to use its king Nebuchadnezzar to accomplish my will. So it's not a a black and white view of things, right? There is a good that comes from this nation at the center of everything being Babylon. And so it's not God's kingdom, right? We're going to learn what God's kingdom is um, as we walk through the book of Daniel, um, it's not God's kingdom, but it accomplishes his purposes, right? And so Daniel carries this, this positive view of Babylon even when he critiques it, even when he critiques Nebuchadnezzar, which he's about to do right now. So let's get back in, into the passage. Go back a few verses to verse 15, um, because this is what happens to the tree. So we're back into the, kind of the, the vision or the metaphor here. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him with the animals, him being the tree here, uh, among the plants of the earth. Let him live with the the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass for him. And then jumping forward to the interpretation here from Daniel. This is the interpretation, Your Majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against the Lord, the ki- my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth. And gives them to anyone he wishes. Actually, the the back half of chapter 4, which Julie will be talking about next week, is the account of this actually taking place. So we won't talk a whole lot about the actual event itself today, but next week we'll hear a little more about it. Daniel continues, The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right, and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. So John Goldingier, yeah, he's a commentator on, on the book of Daniel. He says, like we should we should see what's going on here is, is that Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon is like this contemporary embodiment of, of a recurrent ambition of nations. All nations, right, especially the greatest ones, have this ambition to view themselves as the ones that are godlike. Right, providing for the whole world, giving giving life to the whole world, providing and ruling over it, and reaching for heaven. He says can be seen as this 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 almost rebellious view by them that by reaching up to the space that God is in, we will take over the role that God has in the world. We don't need a God anymore. Babylon can can take care of everybody. Babylon can can make sure that everyone's needs are met. We don't need God to do that anymore. And for sure, if if you're if you're um, you know. An astute reader of your Bible, and you're reading this, and your mind maybe flashes back to the Tower of Babel back in Genesis 11, right? This, this time where this, this tower gets built up to heaven, and it's supposed to represent this kind of group of people coming together and saying, like, we don't need a God anymore. We can proclaim our own glory and build a tower that's up to heaven itself. It reaches up past where God's at, even. We don't need him anymore. And, and so you kind of get that, that imagery here for us. Now, traced throughout the book of Daniel and other places, and we'll find this in some of the other visions, is, is the story of other kingdoms that come along, and, and, and some of them devour Babylon, and they're devoured by another nation, and they're devoured by another nation. It's just as always some bigger nation coming in and kind of devouring and kind of trying to take on the role of this tree in the world, and, and it culminates primarily in Caesar, in the New Testament in Rome, right? And so we'll find in the book of Daniel as we move forward, and as we get into the New Testament it- itself, when we read there, we see that Caesar kind of stands a bit in the background. Because Caesar even, it's not, you know, he, he, he's calling himself the son of God as well. He's calling himself king of the whole earth. Some of the same phrases that get applied to Jesus in the New Testament, Caesar actually, and I don't, I don't think that he even realized that there was some there was some small little religious sect that has been calling their their god or their, their, their person that they followed the same thing as Caesar, necessarily. They did realize it eventually, and that's when things started to get bad for, for the Christians. But um, some of the same language is applied to him. Now, Okay, so, so this critique or this kind of challenge to nations that stand up in the place of God and try to extend their, their tree out where they are, are, are providing for every, the needs of everything is kind of this thing that gets brought up in the Bible and critiqued at different times. Now, when we approach this as, as moderns, we probably like some of it because we are very anti-authority. right? Think about how our nation got founded. Right? We, we gotta found it because we overthrew a tyrant and threw his tea into the into the, the bay or whatever. And, and right, we, we're very anti-authority, right? The government works for us. We've set it up so that government works for us. If we don't like how they're doing, we fire them and we hire someone else. It's called an election. Okay? This is how we think of authority. So so for us, the idea of an emperor controlling us is something we we naturally kind of kind of recede from. So we like this critique. Right? But it makes it so it can be kind of a challenge for us to relate. Right? How, do we, how do we view this critique? Now we for sure can uh, apply it to, to leaders, and we will in the book of Daniel today. But but who do we primarily view as Caesar, as the one occupying this place of controlling everything for us in our lives today? Who is that person? Right? And I would submit to you that when you really think about it, you might view oops, you might view you as Caesar right? You might see yourself as occupying the role of Caesar. And so what happens is we all end up being... Oh, whoa. Oh my gosh. Spoiler alert, everybody. We're all little Caesars is what, <laughs> is what we are, okay? Let's go. Can you get me back to that slide? Um, We're all Little Caesars. We end up being Little Caesars in a way. We end up trying to uh, control everything. We we say, listen, government or parents or, or all these other traditional authority figures have failed us. And we're not always wrong about that, right? We're not always wrong about that. Okay, but So what our response a lot of times is, especially in this society, is to say, well, I'm going to be the one who controls my destiny then. I'm going to be the one who sets myself up over at least my life and has complete control over it. I'm going to reach up, and I'm going to make sure everything is controlled the way that I want it to be. I'm going to have faith in myself. I'm not going to let anything stop me, and I'm not going to let anybody tell me what to do. I am radically free. I'm radically autonomous to do what I want. And we would almost, at least many of us sometimes, would, would rather, mess things up on our own, right? Than have someone else come in and and be an authority over us and give us some wisdom about how to do it. We we, we would almost rather fail doing it our own way than we would having someone else come in and help us and, and act as tell us what to do, right? That's how that's how like radically we can go this route sometimes and be, try to be our own little Caesars. And 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 so the way that our society is set up actually really helps us out in this. We have all sorts of these uh, things uh, at our disposal to really help us uh, to think this way or to live this way, and, and, and messages we're getting that kind of encourage us to live like this, all right? So, so Caesar, right? If you if you go back and you study ancient Rome, there are all sorts of, like, um, po- poems and, um, and like, stories that are told about how great Caesar was it kind of propped him up and it would get sent out um, to other nations but Caesar for sure read it and was like yeah I'm pretty great you can go on the internet and find the same things about you right inspirational quotes you can find um, self-help books gurus who tell you you're all you need don't let anyone else help you out you've got it under control you just gotta you just gotta do it yourself Right? Or, or fight anthem songs that get so popular, they're telling us like, you got this, you can go out and conquer and do whatever the heck you want. We can find that sort of ego boost when we want it, right, just like, just like Caesar. Um, we're encouraged to buy products that build us up all the time, that they're kind of marketed to us to take kind of into account the fact that we view ourselves this way, right? I'm loving It by McDonald's. Um, Find your greatness. Be unstoppable. Wear this watch that Eli Manning is is doing here. Find true joy by wearing this fragrance or the Burger King one. This is my favorite, okay? Maybe a lot of you don't go to Burger King that often, but you can actually get a crown at Burger King to wear, right, as you have it your way. You're the king of burgers, (laughs) right? And when you step into the Burger King, you know, it's your kingdom to have a burger however you want it. And we get to customize everything, right? Um, We customize burgers, customize cars, customize sandwiches, customize burritos, pizzas, whatever it is we want. We have a lot of freedom to customize and control everything around us. That's how everything is set up around us. All right? and, and the number one product that helps us do this for sure is our phones, right? You remember in the very beginning of, of, of Daniel, he has this chief of staff, Ashpenaz, and he can just say like, Ashpenaz, um, find me some great Chinese takeout, right? Well, now we have Siri to help us do that, right? Anything we need, our phone can probably get for us. Like just like uh, Nebuchadnezzar's chief of staff kind of controlled every, all of his affairs, our phones help us control just about everything around us if we let them. Right? I need a ride somewhere. I need to buy this thing. I have to talk to this person now. Right? Our phones can help us to do that, just like Nebuchadnezzar had the ability to do. So we do have a lot of tools at our, our disposal to kind of control everything around us. Right? And, and we're for sure are, are, are told this is the best way to live is to do this. All right, and this is this is a big one too, I think, to think about. So, what Caesar would do is control his image and how people viewed him by actually putting um, his face and then a message on the currency. Now, it's kind of weird for us to think about because we don't even carry dollar bills on us anymore, right? But in this time, what the one thing that everybody had was coins. That's the one thing you could count on that everybody had to have some of these. So if you wanted to get your message across in a way, you wanted to mass produce some message or propaganda, you stuck it on a coin. That's what, that's what we find from coins in the ancient world. And Caesar took full advantage of this by putting you know, Caesar Augustus, son of the gods, on the coins with his picture stamped on it um, so that everybody made sure they knew how great he was. Now, we are still trying to control our image Today, through things like social media right we're, we're 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 using we're using this to kind of control our image so everyone around us can see how awesome we are how how much fun we're having right we and and just think about like I think of myself sometimes i 'm like i don't post like the boring stuff I do, right? I don't post the, the, like when I get lost somewhere, like, hey, check it out, I'm lost now because I you know, like, thought I knew where I was going and I don't. I don't, you know, you don't post that stuff, right? But you post the cool things that you do, or at least the things you think people will think are really cool right, um, so we're trying to control our image, we want people to see us a certain way, kind of like Caesar does, right, so we're, we're trying to do all the same things in small levels, right, I'm, I'm not comparing any of you to Caesar, don't, don't take the, this too far, right, but, but we're trying to do a lot of the same things that, that the challenge to Nebuchadnezzar or, or we would have of Caesar in the New Testament is trying to do too, so as our points of application, I want to kind of move into this time of like, what do we do with this here for us today, our first point of application is to repent of allegiance to any rival kingdom you may have, all right? So it could, be, it could be this one I've been talking about as a little Caesar. It could be something else, right? A kingdom can be anything that we orient our heart towards, right? And we say that this place, right, the coming of this place, whatever it is, is, is the best, the best life, right? This is what's going to be the best for me, Right? And Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, this kind of pride right especially the one that's the, the, the Nebuchadnezzar type, the type where we want to control everything if we're being little Caesars is, is this kind of pride and arrogance goes before destruction right reaching up to heaven, placing ourselves in the place of God where we think we can control everything around us right create our own system around us that we have control of it's going to come before destruction right and it's not just that it's not so much that that God is going to cut us out from underneath us because he doesn't like it, that we're fulfilled, it's more like this is this is gonna have a really bad effect on you. Like this is not a healthy way to live. Right? The healthy way to live, we were designed to live with God as our king, following his loving, uh, wise rule and, 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 and worshiping him. That's the best for us. That's what the Bible is all about this and restoring that in the world, right? And and so to all of us wanna be Nebuchadnezzar's, to all of us little Caesars, this message is true. Okay? Now, it can be tough, right, to, to do this. This is a, something we have to actively think a lot about because of all the pressures on us that I was talking about earlier, right? It, it means that we're having to say, to admit to ourselves, I'm actually not always the best one to decide how I should live, right? I'm not completely radically free. I'm not as free as I think I am. I don't have as much control as I like to think I do, right? I, I, I am fallible. I mess up. I sin, right? Uh, I am not my own creator, I did not create myself. I did not bring myself into existence. Right? So we have this relationship, this sufficiency on our king, on God, and we need to be reminded of that. And that's a one way that we can read this chapter here. Now, second a point of application, right? To not, that was more of a negative way to look at it, like the positive way to look at it, is to perch in the shade of the kingdom of God, to acknowledge, just like Daniel's calling Nebuchadnezzar, acknowledge that heaven rules. Right? Um, in the Bible, um, there are, and not, not just in, not in Daniel here, right, the word kingdom doesn't show up, but this theme of two kingdoms that kind of run counter to one another is a, is a dominant one in Scripture. And, and one place where it comes out very clearly is in Galatians chapter 4. Paul is talking about uh, these two mountains that represent kind of human agency and then God's agency. And they both are called Jerusalem, right? He, he actually calls the, the actual city of Jerusalem because of where Jerusalem had fallen by the point that he is writing this as as itself. Um, one of human construct, no better than the Tower of Babel, right, which would have been very offensive to Jews reading it at the time. Um, And you read the book of Acts. Paul definitely, like, we we see how offended people were by Paul oftentimes, but um, this is one of human construct. It's mired in the baggage that we bring to it as humans, right, not completely self-sufficient, not able to do what we always think we can, right and so so that gets contrasted with the city of the Jerusalem that is above right this this one that comes from the sky comes from heaven, right this is the one from God, the one that that we we that that is made by god it's 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 good, it's perfect, it's full of justice, it's full of love and and mercy and wisdom and and to live inside of this kingdom to to live according to the 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 patterns and habits of this kingdom is the one that will bring true life for us that's what paul. It, it's a pair of major paraphrase of what Paul says in chapter 4 here. But we've been seeing in the book of Daniel, right? We've been talking about what it looks like. What are the? How do we live according to the patterns of this kingdom in the places we're at? The first few sermons in the book of Daniel, we've definitely been talking about this. We will continue to talk about it as, as we move forward. But, okay, the, the point is that one of these Jerusalems grows from the sustaining seed of the creator, right? And so this idea of a tree, right, that represents a kingdom is not... It's not just in the book of Daniel that we find this imagery, right? If we can go um, to the New Testament where Jesus himself actually refers to the kingdom of God in tree-like fashion. This is from Mark 4, verses 30 to 32. He says, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? or What parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed. Which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when it is planted, it grows and it becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Okay, so it starts small, but because it's of divine origin, it grows and flourishes till it eventually triumphs and and stands above everything else. Now, for sure, the the end point of this is is what Jesus is bringing up is when he returns and he establishes this kingdom on earth. But we can see the impact of Christianity and how it's grown and and benefited and blessed the world, right? And we've talked a lot about how that is the goal for us as people who follow God is to, to seek out the welfare of the city and to bless it. And we've seen, I've tried to kind of, you know, walk through some of the effects of beliefs of Christians throughout history and how that has benefited or flourished the places that they've been in to kind of give us a motivation or a hope that, what we do when we live that out will have the same effect, okay? But, um, but, but we have to also understand that, like, God is dealing with the problem of corrupt authority here by uh, offering this other kingdom, right? And, and so, so our, 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 um, our answer, like we said before a lot of times, to authority is, is, is the little Caesar's Kingdom, right? To say all authority is bad. I'm going to make all my decisions by myself. I'm going to kind of throw off any uh, traditional authority structure. Like I said, this is a very uh, popular and, and, and normal way to respond to authority for us today. But so there's agreement, right, from from the Bible here. There's agreement that um, that that the corrupt. Uh, regimes and, and the, the power-hungry and, 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 and over-powerful uh, kingdoms of Nebuchadnezzar and Caesar and the like, like these are problems. These, these oppressed people. These are, these are um, uh, things that need to be dealt with in the world. But the answer is to not to say authority's bad. It's to say we need the right type of kingdom. We need the right type of king. And so Jesus' answer is to start this kingdom right that has another tree at the center of it. And that tree is the tree that he was nailed to right? Instead of coming in and establishing a kingdom that looked like all the other ones who accomplished its goals, he said, I'm going to start this kingdom off by giving myself up on the cross for the people who are a part of it, okay? I'm going to... I'm going to um, I'm going to give up of myself in love for them, for their benefit, to lift them up, to prop them up, to make them whole and new again by being nailed to a tree so that the tree, this mustard seed, can grow into this massive tree. And that's what my kingdom looks like. And that's the kingdom that we're invited into other than any other sort of kingdom. Okay, so so as we kind of wrap it up here, I want to just talk about some of the distinctions between the kingdom of God, right? With remember, at its center, a crucified King, right? Versus the the types of kingdoms that we get to type, we try to build up, right? What what are some of the some of the um, characteristics of them? Let's just walk through those. Okay, kingdom of God versus a little Caesar's kingdom. Okay? First of all, the kingdom of God sees Jesus as king and, and therefore the one to imitate, right? the one to follow uh, in the pattern of, of giving ourselves up, of, 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 of sacrifice. Of, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this as we go, but it sees Jesus as king and the one to imitate. In the little Caesar's kingdom, we trust our deepest self as the lawmaker. We say, we'll figure it out on our own, right? We'll decide on based on however we're feeling in the morning that this is how we're going to live. This is how we're going to make it all work, and we're just going to trust that, right? We're just going to trust that. We're going we're to believe that that is... is um, is better and just be honest. That's like a really heavy burden to put on yourself, right? Right. That sounds exhausting to me to be the one who is going to control every affair of my life and assume that if I don't, everything's going to go uh, to hell in a handbasket, right? That is. That sounds like a terrible way to live. But so many of us, myself included, we put that on ourselves so many times, right? In so many ways, in ways that we don't we don't realize. And and so even though you know deep down we are aware of our limits, of our confusions, of our mistakes, um, we still. Uh, push back a lot of times, fighting against that 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 there maybe there is someone else that is a better king than we could be. A second part of the feature of the kingdom of God versus the little Caesar's kingdom is that the kingdom of God is is inherently other oriented, right? The whole genesis of the of the kingdom was not to for Jesus to come down and, and say like I'm great, follow me and I'm gonna kill anyone who stands up against me. Right? It's to actually come down in the most humble way possible, and uh, to get spit on and beaten, and to be driven out of all sorts of different places, and eventually to get nailed onto a cross. All for the benefit of the, the, the least of these, the, the poorest among the people in Israel, the ones who, who realize, like, this is the type of king I need. He did it all on behalf of them. So it's inherently other-oriented. A little Caesar's kingdom, though, is inherently self-oriented, right? It is inherently about us and our controlling things for us, right? Um, It is inherently about um, how can I get more and more? How can I grow this? How can I add to my own greatness? A third feature of, of the two kingdoms here is the kingdom of God is about justice and it's about redemption. The little Caesar's kingdom is about pleasure and avoids guilt many times. Um, the kingdom of God is, is about coming in. It's about taking broken things and, and, and reconstituting them and making them new, making them whole again. Um, it, it's about justice. It's about righting wrongs and making it so that all people can live in true justice and harmony, right? That is, that is a, the fundamental goal of the kingdom of God. The little, little Caesar's kingdom, it's more about pleasure, and, and it's about that pursuit, even if we end up hurting other people, right? And it avoids guilt. It doesn't want to admit that it might need to be made new or redeemed, right? That, that is actually at odds with the very central uh, thesis of this kingdom. Okay? And, and so, because of that, um, the kingdom of God, it can admit wrong. People in the king, kingdom of God can admit wrong and cast that on the cross, knowing there's a way to deal with that and to be reconstituted, to be redeemed, to be made new. Whereas the little Caesar's kingdom, it's gonna double down on mistakes and on wrongdoing, right? It can't apologize. Right? It, 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 it's offended many times by the offer of forgiveness. Really? I don't think I need forgiveness. I'm pretty great. I'm offended that you would say that at the heart of your religion is the fact that I might need some forgiveness for something. How dare you, right? Okay? It can't admit that it's wrong, and so it has to double down a lot of times on things Right, because it can't admit that what I've been doing is maybe not the best way to go, and I've got to look smart and competent and perfect, and so I'm going to keep going on this route no matter what, even if it's hurting me or hurting other people Right, because I can't admit that I'm wrong. And so, and so um, the Bible actually calls that like hardening of our hearts, right? Kind of doubling down and hardening ourselves to God and the gospel, okay? And so for us, and this is, I hope, very clear, right? Our last point of application is to just to follow the king, okay? Because he is the king of a better kingdom than any other kingdom that we can build, that Nebuchadnezzar or Caesar or any other uh, president or, or a governing official could build. Jesus is a better king, and so, so we should treat this as a refreshing thing, right? Not a challenge to us, but as like a cure, as a, as a balm for us, right? To come in, and to be made new, to be reconstituted um, by the king who, who allows himself to be nailed to a tree on our behalf, okay? Look to the one who gave himself up for you in love to be the one whose kingdom rules your heart and your actions and gives you life and, and life grows out of you as you follow him, okay? We are gonna close um, in prayer, here we're going to close. Um, in communion, we're going to close, and, and close in worship. And worship happens a couple of different ways. You can worship through song. We'll have the worship team coming back up here. Uh, we also think that giving is, is an act of worship as well, uh, as an act of, a way to respond to God in worship, to give back of ourselves just as He's given for us. And so, if you want to give financially, we have um, a place to give in the very back um, at the welcome table. Um, you can give there, um, but please just just worship with us. Worship God through song, um, worship the one who, 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 who dies on our behalf to create this kingdom that we can be a part of, um, this better kingdom. Um, we also will have uh, some prayer in the back. There will be someone available to pray with you. If you have um, any sort of prayer request whatsoever, uh, someone will be, will be standing in the back to offer prayer for you. Okay, um, We have communion that will be offered as well. And we don't, you don't need to be a member of Red City here. We actually don't have any members at all, so you're all not members. Um, but please, just be a follower of Jesus and come take communion today as another act of response and remembrance of the one whose body was broken and whose blood was shed on our behalf. Lord we thank you that um instead of having the answer be that we, we try to throw off authority and, and take it for ourselves and, and have to have the burden and the pressure of building everything up ourselves, Lord, um, or the other, the other side where we, we look to kings or authority figures who, who are corrupt, who, who may do some good in the world, but who end up, um, who end up uh, living just lives for themselves to the detriment of those uh, beneath them, where we have the opportunity to live in a better type of kingdom than either of those two, and that is the kingdom of your son, the kingdom of love, of justice, of mercy, of life itself, God, um, all through your son who gave himself up for us on the cross. I pray that we would be people um, who delight in following him as king and that you would, you would bless us as we, as we walk into that, Lord, that you would give us life as we follow him, Lord. Um, we pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus, the one who was uh, crucified on our behalf. Amen.